and my sermons disappeared somewhere. So, Steve, if you would kind of give an impromptu testimony time. Oh, you got it. All right. Steve had already preached today, and he thought we didn't need a sermon. I got you. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, just a quick announcement. Um, so the 55-plus group, that's for ages 55 and older, are taking a trip in March to Washington, D.C. for the Cherry Blossom Festival. And um, they need people to sign up. Uh, they want to expand it to the entire church. If anybody would like to be a part of this trip, um, they're going to get a bus, and uh, they're going to have a cost breakdown. Um, but there's a sign-up sheet out there. They need a $100 deposit um, for... Uh, to go, So they need at least 40 people to go from our church, or if there's not enough folks in our local church, they're going to open it up to other folks to have a cost breakdown. So there's a sign-up sheet on the table out there. If you're not 55 and you want to go to the Cherry Blossom Festival, go ahead and sign up and, uh, and go ahead and put in a $100 deposit and go from there. Pastor Sean is here today. He's, he's, uh, he's leading the life group, and so thank you for his prayers for him. Um, he's feeling better, but not completely out of the woods, uh, but we're glad to have Pastor Sean back on board. We had a great week. The kids' school play went so well. Um, thank you for, to, to Emily and Tommy and Theo for lighting the candles. Appreciate that. Um, and lightsabers on the drumsticks. I mean, that's awesome. That, that, that's next level Christmas right there. I love it. Keep it up, Brad. That's, that's cool. Um, so this is the first Sunday of Advent where you're actually going to get an Advent message. We're taking about a four-week break from our study in 1 Samuel, and, uh, but we're going to start looking at what this holiday season is all about. Now, the danger every Christmas season or Easter season or whatever else when we preach messages from the same text of Scripture is for us to be like, I've heard this my whole life, I hear this every year, uh, what is in this message for me now? Well, let me just remind you, you are not the same person in Christmas of 2022 that you were in the Christmas of 2021. You're in a different place. You've matured differently. God's taking you during, down a different path. And so I want you to remember that the Bible is living and active. When we read God's Word, God is actually speaking to us in power. And so it has an opportunity every time to teach you or show you or mold you as He needs to do. So with that said, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 18. Today's message is entitled, Don't Be Afraid. Don't Be Afraid. Which is somewhat ironic because... Typically, when somebody tells you not to be something, you end up being that way, right? Don't be afraid. Oh, okay. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, as difficult as this may be, whatever age and stage you're at in life, men, try to imagine you're in Joseph's shoes. 
You're engaged to be married to a woman. Now, culturally, it may be a little different. There may, this is most likely an arranged marriage instead of you saying, I want her. There's probably a, a setup. Um, but to be engaged to a person during this time period would mean that you are already fully dedicated to them in heart and mind. You haven't had the ceremony. You haven't consummated the marriage yet. But you're already still fully committed to each other. But in our culture, it's still the same way. Uh, engagement is still a strong commitment, right? It's saying that you have chosen that person, that they have chosen you, and now you are literally saying, I am off the market. I'm spoken for, I'm on layaway, and so you cannot have me. That's what engagement says. Now imagine this is your heart and attitude. In Jewish culture, as we see even in the New Testament, as Jesus teaches us about in his Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, he would have told us. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. And so in Jewish culture, after this engagement would be set, the groom would go home and add a room onto his Father's house. He would build an addition. And so he, Joseph, in this time period, be, would be working toward the day when the wedding could happen. And so he would work diligently on building this room for his newly forming family, and his father would have to give approval before he could go and get his bride. And that's why Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour of my coming, only the father does, because the father tells me when the time is right and I can go get my bride. So that's the scenario that's going on here. Luke's Gospel explains that Mary goes away for a while, probably a few months to visit her cousin, and she comes back with a baby bump. She's pregnant. So men, again, imagine you're Joseph. Think of all the thoughts and feelings and emotions that just rush in. You know it's not yours. First of all, you're a virgin and she's a virgin. Second of all, you haven't seen her in months. And then you start thinking all these things, like how could she be unfaithful to me? I thought I knew who this girl was. I thought I knew she was all about. I thought she was a righteous woman. I thought I was blessed. And so you get this, these questions of, of self-doubt, like what's wrong with me? Anytime there's a breakup or anything like that, that's what we think about. What's wrong with me? Then you go through a process of grief and then just heartache. And so I don't think there's a doubt that Joseph kind of went through this, um, this emotional gauntlet when he sees Mary pregnant. Now, he could legally have had her stoned to death for committing adultery. This would clear his name of wrongdoing and feed his sense of justice. And I think most people in our culture today may take this avenue, right? Like, she's done her, made her choices, and it wasn't mine, and I don't, I don't want to be blamed for anything, and so let her suffer her consequences. And you can feel good about yourself because that's justice. But the Scripture says Joseph was a good man. And I would venture to say he was probably better than most. In spite of what he perceives as Mary's unfaithfulness, he's willing to face false accusations, swallow his pride, and give her a second chance at life in spite of her pregnancy. So he decides to divorce her quietly. He doesn't ask for her life. He just, in the background, behind the scenes, says, no, you can carry on your life with your family. I, I, I'm willing to take those steps. Then we pick up in verses 20 through 24. 
As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid, there's those words, to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. I love that the angel tells him, don't be afraid, because by those words, it reveals that the motivation, whatever motivation he had in his heart to divorce her quietly was not motivated by faith, but fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for what I'm about to tell you that's going to happen. You have a certain perspective of what you see this situation as, but let me tell you what this situation really is. When God reveals the truth of the situation, that Mary hasn't been unfaithful. In fact, Mary has been extremely faithful. So faithful, in fact, that when it came time for the Savior of the universe, God to come in human flesh, He chose her. Wow, what a woman! How am I so blessed? She isn't dishonorable. Instead, she deserves more honor than any woman that's ever existed. So that's a lot to take in. So Joseph thinks his life, given the circumstances and situation, are going this direction. And he's doing his best to do the right thing. And God says, go this direction. A 180. Instead of being grieved and heartbroken by this process, this is an honor this is a calling, and this is the greatest thing you could possibly ever do with your life, Joseph. Now, are you going through circumstances and situations, maybe of your own doing, maybe not of your doing, where it looks like, what's the best, most honorable thing that I can do here? When you're really motivated by fear instead of faith. The difference in Joseph's approach to this is that God speaks truth into his life. Are you allowing God to speak truth into your life in the circumstances and situations you find yourself in? Or are you making your best guess? To receive this calling would mean that people would always label him and Mary wrongly. There would always be rumors that they had been unfaithful to their marriage vows, uh, to the marriage vows coming and had conceived this child before wedlock. There would always be rumors. He has an impression or an idea of what life was supposed to be about and where he was heading. But even the challenges and hardships we face in life get us to believe we're heading in a certain circumstance or situation. And when God speaks to us, he has every right and obligation to lead us in a totally different direction. Other people may not understand it, but God's call for us is always unique and special. Every single person in this room has a call on your life from God. A specifically designed call catered to the way He made you. With your type A personality or not, God has something designed for you. And it's not going to look like anybody else. It's going to be unique. And so much of our life is spent with just trying to fit in, right? 
and not be unique and not be different. But I'm telling you, you are who you are because God made you that way and you're called to specific purposes according to God's design. So the first challenge and point of this message is this. God said it, so you have to have the faith to believe it. If God says something, whether it makes sense to you or not, whether you like it or not, whether it goes according to your plan or not, you have to have the faith to believe it. Maybe that's why God speaks to Joseph in a dream, because if any other message came to him, he would have disregarded She's conceived by the Holy Spirit? How do you... That, that doesn't make sense, but he believes it. Don't forget that Mary and Joseph had free will choices here. It is a scary proposition, which is why the angel said, don't be afraid. Joseph didn't wake up and disregard the dream. That's what I love about this guy. He doesn't go and say, man, I ate too much pasta last night. I stayed up way too late watching that horror movie and it messed with my mind. <sighs> Imagine Mary being pregnant. You know, No, he didn't rationalize it away so he could do what he really wanted to do. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things, guys. We do. And we claim that it's God's will, but it's really our will. And we've looked for all these signs everywhere else and not gone directly to God's word. The challenge, though, wasn't an obstacle to his happiness. It was an opportunity to be part of the greatest love story of all time. So whatever's in front of you that's an obstacle or a challenge, don't believe it. If God is writing your story, you get a chance to be part of the greatest love story of all time as well. Well, let's look at Mary's reaction from Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 34. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. <clears throat> Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. Isn't it ironic that the phrase used for both of them very early on in the talk is both don't be afraid. Doesn't God know that we have a problem with fear? <laughs> Especially when he's about to move. Especially when he's going to take us in a new direction. Isn't fear our enemy? I, I, I don't like where I'm at, but at least I'm more comfortable here than where you want to take me. We don't like change. For you have found favor with God you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The second point that I want to make this morning is a point that you've heard over and over and over again over the last couple months, but it fits. Don't decry small beginnings. Don't decry small beginnings. So women, now it's your turn. Let's step into the shoes of Mary as best you can. When Mary gets the news, which is the greatest news possible, not only is she pregnant, but she is to bear the God of the universe in her womb. It's mind-shattering, right? 
She has trouble seeing how she could be the one that God could use this way. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense scientifically. It doesn't make sense socially. She's a poor, nothing girl from a small town. Even as Luke tells this story, he says, she's from a small town in Nazareth and Galilee. He gives this long description for the place because nobody knows where it is. If you've never been to Nazareth, you have no idea that it existed. That's her. And I think that's why, throughout biblical history, God has used shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David, all to name a few. All shepherds. Shepherds, historically, are nothings and no ones. They're the outside of society. They do the job nobody wants. They're the ones that can't uh, have government positions because they're too busy taking care of dumb sheep, right? Even David, when, when Samuel showed up, and we'll see this in a few weeks, when Samuel shows up to anoint the next king, he disregards David. Oh, he's taking care of the sheep. That's what his role is. You don't want him for your king. But part of the reason that God uses shepherds is because they aren't self-important. They don't think themselves greater than the calling. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Every single one of those guys that I mentioned have said, Who me? Who me? You want to use me? Don't you see where I am? Don't you, don't you see what my... How can I do this? God can use people who don't find the inner strength in themselves. I love it when I call you as a pastor and, and challenge you to do something and you say, I don't think I can do this. I'm not capable. I, I, don't, I don't think I have giftings in this area. That excites me because that means you can do it. Because <laughs> you can't find the strength within yourself to do the calling. You have to be dependent upon God. God can use people who know they are weak and forced to depend on Him. He cannot use the overly confident, the prideful, or the arrogant. He can't. So, you're in good company if you feel that way. You and your life may not seem like much now, but a person, any person, any person walking in a daily faithful obedience to God can have a ripple effect until literally the end of time and eternity. Think about Moses, right? We like to talk about Moses. Moses, in many circles, is the greatest patriarch, even in some circles above Abraham. And Moses was a kid born at the wrong time to the wrong place to the wrong family. The law of the land was literally, if you have a boy, you have to kill him. And, and Moses' mother gives birth to him and looks at him and says he's no ordinary child. Now, I don't know any parent or any mother that looks at their newborn baby and says, oh, they are just, oh, right? Most parents look at their child and say, oh, they're so special. They're so beautiful. But sometimes you may say, oh, they're so special. They look like your Uncle Steve, you know, whatever. But she looks at him and no matter the culture around her, what they dictate, her own life is at stake here, and she keeps this child alive until she can keep it no more. And we know the story. She lays him in a basket on the Nile River in some reeds, and then Pharaoh's daughter just happens to find him. 
and decides to adopt him. And then the scenario gets worked out to where literally Moses' mother gets to raise him and teach him who he is. Teach him his identity as a Hebrew. Teach him about the one true God. Teach him about why he exists on this earth. And so even though he grows up in Pharaoh's palace, he always knows who he truly is. She's the unsung hero of Moses' story. Just like Mary. Just like Joseph. Or think about Methodism. We're part of the, the evangelical Methodist church. And so you've got John and Charles Wesley, who are the two great founders of Methodism. Uh, their mom, Susanna Wesley, uh, was a devout follower of God. Their father was a pastor as well, but very busy, all the rest. So much of who we become is due to our mothers. Isn't that true? Susanna would have her quiet time, and she would put her apron up over her head. And the kids knew, don't disturb mom when she's praying and the apron's over her head. Now, she birthed 19 children, so that may be the only way she had solitude at all in life, was to put that apron over her head. But that kind of devotion shaped those two men that started this movement called Methodism. And so I think all of us can relate to this, that God is looking for men and women of all ages and all stages of life who are willing to hear his call and obey no matter how small and insignificant it may seem. That's what I love about the biblical narrative, especially the nativity story, is who he chooses to use throughout the whole thing. Joseph and Mary? Yeah, he's in the line of David, but man, there's not been a king in a long time. <sighs> Breathes life into us. A few years back, Pastor Sean and I had the opportunity and blessing to go to Israel. And when I walked into Galilee, I just, I was kind of in a dry point in ministry. We go through those seasons. And I was wondering about my calling and covenant and our effectiveness and all the rest. And as I looked at the Sea of Galilee and I saw the hilltops, you know what it made me think of? It made me think of home. It felt like West Virginia. And I realized that Jesus spent the majority of time, not in Judea and Jerusalem, but in Galilee. And it just reminded me that in this church, in this community, are Peter's and James and John's and Nathan, others who are called just like those early apostles to bring change to the world. That's who you are. It's all about our willingness to obey God. Let's keep reading. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Oh, I love that sentence. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Part of the reason that Mary ultimately has the faith to believe God's word in this moment is God gives her an opportunity to see that he's already working and moving. He said, your cousin Elizabeth who's an old lady, is pregnant. Go see her. Go spend a couple months with her. 
And as we know, as she goes to visit Elizabeth, as she shows up on the scene, as, as she walks over the hilltop, and Elizabeth sees her, John the Baptist, who's six months old, growing in her womb, leaps full of the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth gets full of the Holy Spirit and starts prophesying. Affirmation. And it goes back to the beginning of their national history story where a 75-year-old man and a 65-year-old woman are promised a child. And then 25 years later, when this woman is 90 years old, she gives birth to Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah's story starts. This pregnancy, this unique pregnancy with Elizabeth, an old lady who shouldn't be able to have babies having a baby, it's like God is saying, oh, my fingerprints are all over this. I have been faithful in the past, and I'll be faithful in the future. I'll be faithful forever. So we can believe God's promises for the future because of His faithfulness in the past. The Bible is not some old, dusty book irrelevant to our culture today. It is the evidence of the truth of God's love and faithfulness throughout human history. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if He doesn't change... We are clearly the unwritten chapters of the greatest love story of all time. And if he's done the unbelievable and the impossible before, he will again if we're willing to obey his calling for our life. So as you look at the path that's set before you, the story that's been written up until now, and you look what's on the horizon, whether on a nationalistic level, on a political level, on a social level, or just in your own home and life, you may say this is impossible. And you may be starting to write your own chapters here. And, and you're writing how you think your life is supposed to go given the circumstances and situation you find yourself in, and God says, give me those pages. You wrote in my book. Can you keep my pages, God? I mean, my spelling isn't great. Can you work on the grammar a little bit? Can we just keep my story? He says, nope. Let me rip them out. There's plenty of pages left. And give me the pen. But I don't, I, I don't know. I, I can't trust you. I, I, I. Give me the pen. You don't believe how good a story writer I am? I wrote the greatest book of all time. I took nobodies and nothings just like you, who were facing critical situations just like you, and I used them to change the world. Will you let me do that through you? Will you let me? It may not have been your plan, but God has always had the plan and just revealed it to you now. Your response needs to be like Mary's. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I think that's the hardest part of this story for Mary and Joseph. And I think it's the hardest part for us is releasing the dream of what our life was supposed to be like before God changes our plans. Always the hardest thing. I mean, we start dreaming as little kids. Hey, Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? Hey, Caleb, what college are you going to go to? What are you going to major in? Who are you going to marry? 
And we come up with all these dreams and all these ideas and all these plans. And we look at all these things and we make our best guess. And we invest ourselves and our time and our money. And then God says, this way. Let me rip out that page, that paragraph you started. I've got my own whiteout. It's the blood of Jesus that can cover over everything. <laughs> I could rewrite your story. Kristen's not here, but uh, I love to use the Hobbit when Kristen Rexer is here, or the Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit, one of my favorite books and stories of all time. Speaking of, of stories, I'm a movie guy. I love movies. And I love movies that have sequels. And um, the thing about movies and sequels is um, usually it's a couple years or something before the next movie comes out. And what I do is I make up a story that is a continuation of the story in my own mind. I'm saying if I were to, to, to write the next chapter of this movie, this is how I would do it. And then the sequel comes out and it's nothing like my story and it's awful. And I think, man, it would have been so much better if you would have just let me write this story, right? I get so frustrated about that at times. But listen, God writes the best sequels. He does. The Hobbit, when the movies came out, they turned a simple story into multiple movies. And I'm not saying they're bad. But I think one of the beauties of the story of The Hobbit is it's so simple. It's not grandiose like the Lord of the Rings trilogy that follows it's a simple story about a simple halfling. You've got Frodo, who's a hobbit, or Bilbo, who's a hobbit. And, and so Bilbo lives in Hobbiton. And in that culture, the goal of life is comfort. They love their small little community. Uh, Bilbo lives in, in a hobbit hole. It sounds awful, but it's not dank and dreary. It's really nice and furniture. And, and he's inherited the family property and legacy He's right at the prime of his life, and so he looks forward to having just a relaxing life the rest of his days. In fact, it's looked down on the community to have adventures. And so he's all set. His plan for his life is working exactly as it should until Gandalf the wizard knocks on his door. And then it's followed by a bunch of dwarves who want to hire him as a burglar. He's never stolen anything before in his life. And at the end of the journey is a dragon and a treasure. And so he's stuck. Do I live my common, simple life, my plan, my way, or do I take this invitation that may cost me my life and I may never come back from it from these individuals that believe in me and tell me I can be something more? In order to receive the calling, he had to let go of the dream that was his old life. And it would have been a terrible book. I would have never read The Hobbit if he would have told him no. But he chose to go on the adventure. And as we know the story, and I'm not going to ruin it for the people that have never read the books. By the way, read the books before the movies, please. Books are always better. Clarissa's like, amen. There you go. Um, because of the choices he made, because he stepped out of his comfort, because he was enabling himself to be stretched, in the next generation, his nephew goes on the greatest journey in that land of all time and changes the destiny of Middle-earth forever. But it all had to start with a simple hobbit breaking from the pattern of his culture 
receiving an invitation and going on an adventure that was planned out for him to be a world changer. So I'm not saying that you guys will all end up being missionaries to Hungary or China or India. I'm not saying all you guys will stand before theaters of thousands of people. I'm not saying all of you will save a hundred people, each individually. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you're faithful to God's specific calling for your life, your ripple effect will reach generations that will have an impact on eternity. Maybe the one person you bring to Christ may bring thousands to Christ, but you have to be obedient to reach the one first. Doesn't that change your perspective? Doesn't that bring life to you? Mary and Joseph's calling was unique. It's impossible to repeat. I'm so glad their calling was just for them. But thankfully, we're all faced with our own calling, God's unique calling. So what calling has he dropped in your lap that threatens your dreams and plan for your life but can have a ripple effect for generations? Now again, let me stress this. Your calling is not that. We hear calling, that's what we think of. Your calling is a daily walk of obedience. And the great things happen as you follow Jesus daily. Think of the disciples in the Gospels. Did they wake up every morning and say, hey, let's go feed 4,000 people. Hey, Jesus, this would be a good day for you to walk on water. Jesus, let's go and heal this blind person. No, they didn't have any idea what the day was going to bring. All they knew was they had left their old life and were dedicated to following Jesus. And wherever he said, they went. And whatever he called them to do, they did. And the world was changed. Isn't that great? That excites me. Even when you read a story like The Hobbit, he didn't know what each day was going to bring. He was just faithful to what he was called to do that day. We get so overwhelmed and fearful when we always glance at the big picture and then compare ourselves to that. Stop it. God's got the end of the story. He's got the big picture. Let him write your story one sentence at a time, one page at a time. Stop trying to flip ahead. The beauty of eternity is every moment in eternity somebody else crosses the finish line and we get to see more of how our story impacted other people other people makes me think of my mom who helped start covenant christian school every kid that's gone through this school will one day cross that finish line and thank her for helping to start this school she didn't, she didn't know what it would become. She didn't know how long it would last. But every child will say, that school impacted my life. And because you were faithful to what God called you to, this teacher impacted my life. And this headmaster affected my life. And this custodian impacted my life. And these became my friends. And this became my core. And this became my church. Don't you see? Don't you see how special you are to God? New adventures are never easy. And change is always hard. But when God is calling, 
His plans are always better. So let me repeat the four things. Have the faith to believe God's call. Don't decry your small beginnings. Believe God's promises because his faithfulness has been in the past. And release your plan and dreams to embrace God's new calling for your life that will have, that's a fact, will have a ripple effect for generations. Jesus, I thank you that you came in such a way that there is no one on earth that cannot identify with you. You came weak, you came dependent, you came lowly, you faced every adversity, every challenge, every temptation, and yet you were perfect without sin. And you don't condemn us in spite of all the terrible, awful, negative things you experienced. You still went to a cross and died our death so we don't have to in order to give us a promise of new life. In spite of every sin and shortcoming and bad choice we've made, you still look at us and say, I want to marry you. I still choose you. Will you be my bride? Jesus, that truth makes me want to shout. That truth makes me want to run down the streets and proclaim your love to everyone. And so today, Lord, as we come to you, a bunch of ordinary people, just like Mary and Joseph, who have received calls for you, unique calls for our life, let us be willing to release our pre-written pages that don't match up with your story. Help us to forgive ourselves for the mess-ups and screw-ups and just simply hand you the pen every morning, every day, and let you write our story. And God, let future generations be impacted by us. Let souls be saved by us. Raise up new Moseses, new John and Charles Wesley's Lord, new Billy Graham's, new people, Lord Jesus, that'll stand in the gap. There are mothers in here, women in here, Men in here, fathers in here, grandfathers, Lord God, that are, their story is not written. You are not done with them. So help them to release the pen again and allow you to do the amazing and impossible for generations. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to come and respond as God leads you. Just experience his love and power in this moment.